0: Yeah, it's fascinating because there's over 300 million square feet of abandoned big box stores and we saw another one go down, (sighs) Toys R Us. I know. So think about it. Think about driving past these spaces, they're physical manifestations of the failing middle class, right? And so municipalities and cities are trying to find how do we how do we change this? And it's not just the structure of the big box, but it's the parking lots. And people are doing amazing adaptive reuse by striking sidewalks and parking lots, putting small retail and services, and then taking the big box and making it a library, a community center, a center for the arts. Mm -hmm. And then developers are building multifamily housing adjacent to it. And now you start to build this whole community community that's walkable, Mm -hmm. bikeable, and you fulfill all of those expectations that you would have had if there were space and you could afford living in a city.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Target. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie. I'm Amy, and this is Clever. We're doing something special today. We're talking about a topic that we find particularly interesting, evolving society and how that shapes the future of the built world. More specifically, we're talking about the attitudinal shifts that are informing how people use and reuse space, and how architecture and design projects can adapt and support the new needs and expectations that come along with our new cultural paradigms.
2: Tarket has done extensive research and they've coined the term neoculture to describe the way diverse cultures are coming together as never before to create entirely new cultures with new values. Today, we're digging deep into this idea of neoculture with Suzanne Tick, a product and textile designer, and Chris Stolpin, chief creative officer for Tarket. They both have a lot to say about this, so let's talk to Suzanne and Chris.
3: My name is Suzanne Tick. I live in New York City. I'm a weaver and an artist and a product designer, and I'm the principal of Suzanne Tick, Inc. I am a consultant to Tarkett, and I'm also the creative director of Loom, uh, which is a textile company. And I am a product designer for Skyline Design. I love the process of creating and bringing meaning to materials that can be used in the marketplace.
0: My name is Chris Stolpen. And I live in Hudson, Ohio, where I am Chief Creative Officer for Tarquette North America. And what that means is I oversee product development, design, product management, and marketing for residential and commercial products. So our brands are Tantas and Tiva, Deso, Johnsonite. And I do what I do, it's a natural extension of my work when I started as a young man, as a resource librarian at architecture and design firms.
2: I'm interested to know how you became collaborators with each other. How did you get to know each other? What's the story there?
0: Yeah, I met Suzanne in 1986, believe it or not, when when I was a, a resource librarian for a firm called Walker Group, CNI in New York. And this was when people still developed malls. And it was a pretty large firm. And and Suzanne was designing textiles, I believe it was for UnicaVev. So we started really, that was the beginning of our relationship. And then I migrated into product development for a couple other firms and became friendly competitors. And we'd see each other all the time at different shows. And then three years ago, Tarquette. Offered me this amazing opportunity to lead design and marketing for them, for their brands. And believe it or not, Tandis and Tiva, Suzanne had been designing for them for about 10 years. So we've come full circle. And now we get to work on amazing projects together.
3: It's pretty interesting working with Chris. And in this capacity, when I first met him, I was developing products and presenting to him and sharing my work. And now we get to talk about kind of bigger ideas and broader things, which is kind of what brought us here today. I've been working with Tanda and Teva for over a decade, and I primarily focus on soft surface. And when Chris came to me and said, guess where I am, <laughs> I was like does this mean we get to work together? And we both started laughing and he pulled me into a project right away that was about digital print technology. And it was a collection called Collections Infini and it was product for LVT. And he just wanted us to explore the boundaries together and work with other outside designers and really trying to you know, keep a nod for what can a product actually be and how could we change the way products are looked in the industry. So that's kind of what we do. And we just keep bouncing back and forth off of each other. We we just had a big bounce back and forth a little bit ago and we're like,
0: how are we going to do this? I don't know. How are we going to do this? No, no, This is how it works. I call up Susanna. I'm like, Suzanne, I've got this great idea. And then she's like, oh my God, we have to do this. And, and, and you know, we... <laughs> Like to do things that haven't been done before. So she's a great, great collaborator and truly creating things that have never existed.
1: You guys like to talk about some high-level stuff. And if you're talking about things that have never existed before, as designers are inventors, so we get that. But I know that you guys have been digging really deep into a subject that you are calling neoculture. culture. Yep. And so I wonder if we can unpack this term neoculture. What exactly do you mean by it? Help us understand.
0: I'll give you a definition. I've I've been traveling around the country uh, talking to architects and designers about this. And to put it simply, neoculture is what we're seeing as a cultural renaissance in which we're living today. So we have diverse cultures that are coming together as never before seen. And it's not just these diverse groups of people simply blending together geographically while maintaining their own identity and cultures. But instead, they're truly coming together and creating entirely new cultures with new values. So we think this is really important because when you start to connect all the dots, it ultimately means there are new projects, new expectations, and then the inhabitants of these new projects have wildly different expectations than we've ever seen before.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, so you're saying it's not a melting pot anymore where you can distinguish the individual ingredients. It's really a new dish.
0: Exactly. You know, when immigrants moved here, there was the Italian neighborhood, the German neighborhood, the Polish neighborhood, and then and all of this, of course, was before technology. And technology has had a huge impact on what people want and how they want to interact with one another and what the new expectation is really and then how they want to create together
3: i mean one of the things that when chris brought this to my attention it was a conversation that he brought up and you know he kind of like tag you're it how would you react to that and (laughs) how would we react to that in purpose of the use of materials and how they can be used in a space and what does it mean You know, what we're seeing is that spaces, of course, are much more social than they've ever been before, right? They have to have a social element as, you know, technology is employed. Everyone goes internal to to the technology, but they're using the workplace now or spaces of work to have kind of a social identity. But spaces also have to be flexible. The furniture has to be flexible. It has to be movable therefore the floor has to allow for furniture to be movable so there's more hard surface it feels like on spaces now because of the flexibility and the spaces have to be experiential they have to feel good and they have to be able to switch and change and move about in a different way than they ever have and that whole experiential piece I'm not talking about Ping-pong tables, but I mean, that was the beginning 10 years ago, I guess. (laughs) But they just have to feel right for the building space now, and they have to have multiple uses. So spaces need to have multiple uses. So when we go through looking at all these different kind of areas of what we're calling the the neoculture kind of concept, each of those areas of social, flexible, experiential, and multipurpose are embedded in all of these areas that we're seeing.
2: Yeah, I mean, let's, let's dig in a little bit deeper with neoculture. Where did this whole idea originate from? How did it come to be?
0: Well, if I could, I'd, I'd love to share with you and your listeners some great resources. One is a book called A Country of Cities by Vishan Chakrabarti, and uh, he's the principal at Pow Studios here in New York. And I met a woman over the course of the last 18 months named Ellen Dunham-Jones, who wrote a book called Retrofitting Suburbia. And then I subscribe to a group called Trend Watching, which monitors social trends and behaviors. I'm part of the Design Futures Council, so I get to hear a lot of amazing thought leadership from that group, as well as a couple other groups I belong to. We take all of this stuff and we mind map it on a big, empty blank wall, and then we start to connect the dots. And we start to contextualize what does all of this mean and what's, and what's the blueprint for the next five years, ten years, so on and so forth. Right now I'm working on a project for 2025. So you have to be that far ahead and start thinking about this stuff now because, as you all know, you'll be left behind if you're not actively and consciously Working on it.
1: What were some of the dots on that mind map? Like what, what are the attitudinal shifts that you were able to identify?
0: All right. So for neoculture, there were five shifts that we were noticing. Population growth between mm-hmm. 2000 and 2050. U.S. population is going to increase by 50%. So that'll bring us to 438 million residents. Wow. And the world population by 2050 will be 9 billion. And experts have predicted that the world's capacity will hold 10 billion people. So by 2050, we're going to be reaching capacity. So where are all these people going to live? What are they going to need? What are their resources? Huge shift in attitude surrounding transportation You know, Mm -hmm. we grew up in a time where, you know, success was defined by owning a car or the two-car garage or even the three-car garage. That has shifted wildly about ownership of transportation and the migration that people are having really around walking and biking and proximity Um, and also sharing. And then third one, Global Citizen. We identify more as citizen of the globe as opposed to the nation in which we were born. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. Especially when so many people have multiple places that they come from or that feel they identify
0: with. Yeah, and, and look what the students in Florida did mm-hmm. on how they grabbed everyone across the globe, right? Instantly, mm-hmm. and and organized, and then deployed locally. So we're, yeah. so we're organizing globally, but then deploying it as a citizen of the town or the, you know, the area in which we live. So it's a it's pretty interesting. big shift.
3: Everybody wants to know what their background is, right? Oh, yeah. The ancestry mm-hmm. movement, yeah. that's becoming more and more. What percentage of this are you? Are you any percentage of this? Everyone wants to know what they're made of, who they're made of, how they're made It's changed the paradigm of who we are, actually. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and then our shifts in how we feel about sustainability. Now it's becoming more personal. People are really looking into their own carbon footprint. So that's a big shift. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? Because it goes beyond you know, what we're specifying in workplace or in hospitality or in the segments. But it's really, and now it's become a lifestyle. And and the same thing with health and wellness too. Think about it. Uh, last one, we all know technology, our addiction to it. And it's driving mm-hmm. how we behave in terms of, I want easy, I want nice, I want every day to be a bucket list, right? And then I want to share it with my friends via Instagram. Uh-huh. But then the yang of that is, our spaces have to reflect and really nurture personal human connections and engagements. And ask any design firm, you know, their biggest ask right now by their clients is, build me a culture.
3: Build me a culture or build me some privacy, right? I need privacy. Mm.
1: Oh, isn't that fascinating? I do think that the the drive with technology is also creating a real need for human connection that can be supported by the built world in the way that we foster that through space design. And so, I mean, you kind of touched on it, but obviously this is resonating throughout the architecture and design industries. But can you tell us exactly how, like why is it important for designers to be thinking about all of these attitudinal shifts?
3: I think technology is driving more and more people in kind of polar opposite directions. There's people that thrive on the technology and on all of this information. And there's people that get absorbed into it and that turns them more into more uh, isolationalists, And that becomes a whole other discussion between dark data and positive information that's being pushed, put apart. I think one of the things that we're seeing is kind of the the spatial element of privacy rooms and the importance of people getting out of the environment the work environment that's all about being on your computer all about technology and going into either private spaces or areas that you can communicate and do collaborative projects together mm-hmm. I think the use of your hands and craft movement is becoming much more important because of technology and everyone's using, physically using their bodies in different ways that weren't necessarily meant to be used in that way, just your hands and your shoulders. And now, you know, it's how can you, you know, really have a creative movement in yourself and not just be connected to technology.
0: Mm-hmm. I also think the ask of architects and designers is going to start to change dramatically. So at first it was, how many people can you get in this space for <laughs> as little money as possible? <laughs>
1: Airplanes. And, <laughs> yeah,
0: that, right? And now, you know, we're being asked, okay, give me spaces that are going to drive interactions, collaboration, innovation, and then how do we measure that? So that's mm. pretty tough in and of itself. But the new, the new ask is going to be build me a community. So it's going from how do we connect as you know two people in a workspace to how do you build an entire lifestyle for people? Mm-hmm. If we're starting to wanting to walk and bike and then we're going to build housing surrounding these walkable, bikeable areas, architects and designers are going to now be asked to design community. So I think that's that's going to be a huge shift. And then, The other shift is, all right, what's the new expectations of these people living in these places and spaces? So, you know, those are those are the things we really are trying to make sense of, not only for ourselves and as product developers, but truly for our customers as well.
3: Yeah, I think that that flexibility I said a little bit about that earlier but flexibility is is so much more important and because of the technology that creates this kind of isolation now the workplace has to become much more social mm-hmm. and so spaces have to perform in different ways so they have to allow for the performance of that community space that collaboration space we've heard that over and over again but that the lifestyle becomes... The workplace becomes the social environment is really what's happening. Uh, and I mean, you started to, to say work, it, it's lifestyle. It turns into the lifestyle. Lifestyle is what's meant to attract more people to work now. You know, there was that time when everyone heard that they're going to be working from home, everybody, everybody can work from home, or mm-hmm. hoteling, or all of this kind of thing. But what... I think corporate America is seeing is that people do need to be around one another. They do need to build communities and these companies are now building communities wrapped around social ideas and social activities.
0: And as you know, the typical A cities are getting too crowded, too unaffordable. Where's this younger generation moving out? And then think of the person in the rural farm area also has a PDA, a personal device, they have the same expectation mm-hmm. and they have the same wants and desires. So they're creating and retrofitting suburbia in this whole new world, if you will.
2: Oh, really interesting. I know, it's
1: fascinating.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating because there's over 300 million square feet of abandoned big box stores. And we saw another one go down, <sighs> Toys R Us. I know. So, Think about it. Think about driving past these spaces. They're physical manifestations of the failing middle class, right? And so municipalities and cities are trying to find how do we how do we change this? And it's not just the structure of the big box, but it's the parking lots. And people are doing amazing adaptive reuse by striking sidewalks in parking lots, putting small retail and services, and then taking the big box and making it A library, a community center, a center for the arts, Mm -hmm. and then developers are building multifamily housing adjacent to it. And now you start to build this whole community community that's walkable, Mm -hmm. bikeable, and you fulfill all of those expectations that you would have had if there were space and you could afford living in a city.
3: Mm. I mean, what we're seeing is what we are calling the new suburbanites they want a new kind of landscape that they can can live in that has a combination of technology that ability to tap in it has urban sensibilities and it's affordable i mean it's the affordable piece that's really important and you know they want breathing room they want space and breathing room but they disdain the energy wastefulness and visual monotony that you would live around and so what they're wanting is they want to be nourished. They want to be nourished by authentic materials and authentic experiences so that they can be around people that they want to be around.
0: Well, and, and how they value their dollar, right? If you're on a limited budget, that still doesn't mean you don't want to live every day as, it, as a bucket list day. So there's a developer in San Francisco called Star City. They're they're. Buying up abandoned buildings and one-star hotels, and they're creating communal living, which is really, really interesting, and it's very attractive mm-hmm. to single people on a budget who are moving to you know an, a new space. It gives you an instant set of friends, community, and space, and you can live better. It's a, it's almost like Big Brother the lifestyle now, <laughs> right.
1: or um, it's a, it's
0: a
3: dorm for adults. And-
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And WeWork's doing the same thing. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Or we're seeing facilities where the elderly, the people that are in need for health care and maintenance, are in the top of the buildings, you know, the top 10 floors. And then the families live in the middle of the buildings. And then there's schools on the lower level of the buildings. And the older people can come down and be around children and help children and hold children but they can't get access to outside because that's the biggest fear for the elderly that they walk away. They kind of wander off. So there's buildings that are being created for, you know, the, entol- the entire kind of lifespan.
1: Multigenerational. That's really interesting to me because as I mature personally, I become so aware of how influential the different generations are in my life, both the younger generations and the older generations. And I've, I don't have a multi generational household, but I still want to be immersed in a multi generational community. And I don't want to be separated from that. So. And buildings are being structured
3: like that. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, whole buildings, a community within a building. You know? I mean, they have. A swimming pool where you can go down and you can do a cycling class in a swimming pool where it's not hard on your mm-hmm. your legs that older people can do. And you pull the pool out, and then the little kids are learning how to swim. You know, there's a whole there's a whole community of projects that are starting to pop well, up and,
0: and cross mentorship, right? Yeah, youth informing an older generation, older generations informing youth. It goes back and forth. So
3: yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of Neoculture, but you know, Chris, you talked about you know we're we're looking at the we work, we're working looking at we play, is it or we work, we uh, learn we,
0: we live and we learn our two emerging models, yeah right and then, and so then you like take a look at Star City. There's also another emerging trend, in this one, I, I don't know how I feel about this, but America's oldest and first indoor mall is in Providence, Rhode Island. hmm. They' recently retrofitted the top level to this what's this new trend called tiny apartments, and so young people can afford to live and have all of these services within this within this space, and you get three hundred square feet and you pay eight hundred dollars a month, so it's how you get that bang for your buck,
2: yeah, definitely. So, in terms of neoculture and, and what you've just been talking about, you kind of started talking about some of these mega trends. And, and Amy and I did our homework. So, we know that there are four mega trends that are relative right. to mm. neoculture. And you talked a little bit about purpose positive, which is, you know, the vacant square footage that's being retrofitted or reinvigorated for a new purpose. And mm. then suburbanization which is creating a new That's city true. experiences. Yeah. But then can you talk a little bit more about the other two megatrends?
0: So purpose positive and suburbanization are really talking about what are the emerging spaces? Mm-hmm. And our next two megatrends are really focusing on what will the inhabitants of these new emerging spaces, what are their desires going to be and the regenerative generation is is really our obsession in reducing our carbon footprint. And looking for ways to make, grow, share, and and repurpose uh, resources. Definitely sharing economy. We're seeing so many influences, especially in this next generation, that also values consuming local products and voting with their wallets for companies that reflect their personal values Mm -hmm. or what we call cause marketing. So, you know, the easiest example would be Tom's, right? Mm -hmm. 60 million shoes have been sold and 60 million have been given away. That's an authentic business plan that speaks to people. And so there does have to be an authenticity. It sort of cracked up a little bit on International Women's Day when the folks who have the golden arches turn the golden arches upside down as a nod to International (laughs) Women's Day. And I'm like, I think they're still trying to, get us to buy Happy Meals. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily seem embedded in their culture.
3: We were talking about the statistics of, you know, by 2025, millennials will represent 75% of the American workplace. And, you know, what we see with that generation is that they really grew up in a world of globalization, but also a world of a lot of economic disruption. Yes. But what happens with a group of people that grow up with that much disruption is that they seek meaning in everything then. It's like they, they then rally around all the important causes yes. because they, they, have to, they have to feel safe and they have to feel secure. And so they're not of that mindset of everything has to be new, You know, it's the, you know, we have to keep coming out with new things and new things and more things and new things that their mindset is really about, you know, what they need Mm -hmm. and necessity and what's useful. And the reason for buying anything is like what they have to have. There has to be, they're like hyper self-aware of depleting natural resources and, So, everything has to have more of a purpose for them. Sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I want to tell you a funny story. So, I was in Philly, New York, and Boston last week talking to all sizes, shapes of architecture and design firms. And I cannot tell you what really surprised me the most when we talked about this and the sharing economy and keeping products cycled, you know, to divert from landfills, right? And and cradle to cradle. And the trend towards. Vintage clothing online, right, with vintage and Thread Up. Uh-huh. And then these companies where you pay a fee on a monthly basis and you can have as many outfits as you want.
1: Subscription services.
0: Yeah. And I yeah. can't tell you how many young ladies said, I don't own clothes anymore. I pay $100 a month and I can get as many new outfits as I want. And I said, Well, what, what's the motivation? and I think this will speak to maybe a few of you, she's like, I'm 26 years old, I have six weddings this year. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Exactly.
0: And she means that, which means I have six bachelorette parties, and she said, I would go into debt. She's like, I have no intent of doing this, but I still want to look nice. And, And I thought that was really, really interesting, that we don't even value owning clothes anymore.
1: You used to be able to just go to six weddings with one dress, but now with Instagram, you really do need to rock a different yeah. outfit for every
2: wedding. <laughs> oh, you, I know.
0: You'll get clocked otherwise. <laughs> yeah.
2: I'm also really interested in knowing more about who is leading these mega trends. Like when I think of trends and innovation, I think of like big city like New York, LA, San Francisco. But what's going on in the rest of the country? Are we seeing this only in major cities or are we really seeing this in other places?
0: No, you know, I love my stats. So I can tell you by 2030, more than half of the global population will live in an emerging market city. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing it in Kansas City. We're seeing it in Cleveland, Detroit, Minneapolis, especially if there was a downturn Developers I think have realized this and I always tell architecture and design firms follow the money and they can buy this stuff up very inexpensively New Orleans, Austin and then if you take a look at all of that available square footage right from an empty big box it all makes sense
3: mm-hmm. right
0: but they're not just building commercial they're building residential and commercial alongside one another so you know we're really seeing it. In every single city. Take Atlanta, which is a very young city, Mm -hmm. right? They've already maxed out. And of their developmental money in terms of uh, building, 50% of it were in these emerging market cities outside of Atlanta. So it's really concentric circles coming off of a main hub, right? Mm -hmm. And then they're building further and further and further out. But all with the same expectations. And what's really interesting is industry is now following where these people are because, as you know, it's really hard to fill jobs. So before you used to graduate from school and you moved to the big city and work for that dream employer. Uh, Now you're moving out because you want to live a dream lifestyle and employers are following you.
1: Oh, I sort of like that better.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, Industry City, yeah, which is way, way, way out in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. is like a perfect example of this. And if you take a look at the the companies that are following them, yeah. or look at Amazon, you know,
2: looking for the a new sort place? of
0: auction they're holding, will come to your city. I, I guarantee you, they're going to probably end up in an emerging city because that I've worked with them before, and, and that totally fits their model.
1: So what are some like, let's get really specific and granular, like what are ways that we as the architecture and design community can embrace and translate these trends into, you know, physical, real, tangible spaces?
3: Well, I'm taking these critical looks at materiality and how that can affect spaces and how tactility whether it's real tactility or visual tactility can warm up a space and allow a space to feel safe and natural to to work in these kind of more social Mm -hmm. environments and and how you know it doesn't have to be soft surface you know wall to wall it can be rugs that can be moved around but it doesn't even have to be soft rugs anymore it can be hard rugs it can be all kinds of different materials that can Shift and move spaces, and there doesn't have to be build out anymore. it can actually be you know walls as drapery, you know all different kinds of the use of materials are, are being looked at and actually, I think one of the things that Chris did find out is that when people are building in an urban environment, they're not building it on in space anymore they're building it outside uh, of the space and bringing absolutely. in.
0: Modularity, we see it. I got to listen to a panel of all of the leading construction companies, all the CEOs, they're like, it is too expensive to build on-site now. So everything is being built Mm off-site. So this whole idea of modularity Mm -hmm. certainly impacts how we're thinking and developing products. I'd also say like a UI, UX approach to building space We're hiring more UI, UX people Mm -hmm. as part of our product development team, right? So the product is no longer just the product. It's the experience of the product. Let's say a perfect example, Starbucks and Philips Lighting, if you're familiar with them. They partnered together to transform some Starbucks in the Netherlands called Energy Up Cafes. And you would sit, have your coffee, and you'd be under this light that represented sun give you sort of yeah. you the feeling of sunlight yeah give you gives you vitamin d so again speaking to health and wellness how do i get this even if it's artificial i think there's going to be more focus on embedding experience in space as opposed to just the manifestation mm-hmm. or how we're going to engage in space my favorite thing that i saw was a kit kat in uh, bogota Colombia. Uh-huh put up these billboards where if you leaned against it, give you a back rub and (laughs) tweeted tweeted the word stressed or tired, Uh they would instantly message you via Google Maps. So where you could get a back rub by leaning up against a Kit Kat bar advertisement. Now, if you take something like that and think, okay, I can actually do that within a space. So for people who focus on the floor, how might we better impact people underfoot Uh and how could that better their experience of flooring. So I I think it's a brave new world in terms of materiality and what our expectations are. It's
1: true. Historically, public spaces used to be designed almost against the human. They they used to be designed for durability and wear and easy cleaning. And you could just sort of train a hose in there and clean it down. But it really wasn't (laughs) about supporting the human as much as it was protecting the built environment against the human. And that's totally shifted.
3: Well, you're seeing it. I mean, in in almost every world museum these days, it's all about experiential. It's all about move creating movement and interaction, you know, like these huge swings at the Tate Modern. It's getting people out, it's getting families out, it's experiencing things together that, you know, you, you just aren't aren't seeing in the winter, you know, it's like such a great thing to do. It's encouraging that kind of social interaction. That is is really part of what's happening, which I think is really wonderful. I think
1: it's wonderful too, and it makes me want to like look into the future. And I wonder—I'm sure you guys have because you said you're already working on projects for 2025. Like when you look into the future and you see these mega trends as they play out over time, what are are the impacts and on culture and well-being that you guys are? kind of projecting.
0: I'd say we're living in an age that we consider to be post-demographic, right? So we really want to be seen as individuals and what I what my needs are are wildly different from the person next to me or the person across from me. So what that means for us is for our organization is we're really focusing on personalization. How do you how can you be a big manufacturer and create Products for individuals, right? And we see this in terms of people being drawn to multiple materials, right? Mm -hmm. People are craving this material. well, as Suzanne calls it, materiality and this focus on... Tactility. Tactility, right? And and part of that is driven, actually, by our interaction with our our fingers and our Mm -hmm. phone. So if we're always touching our phone when we're not... We subconsciously crave tactility, yeah so how can we embed that into you know that would be a, a specific example of where we're seeing it going and then, if you're an architect and designer, how do you build a space for individuals mm-hmm. that is really personalized? I think that's going to be a big challenge and then and then of course, you know why big boxes folding up is because no one wants a one size fits all right right
3: yeah you know one of the categories that we didn't talk about is the future of betterment. And one of the big trends that I kind of am engaged in and seeing, and I'm seeing more and more of it, and, and it's just emerging trend, it's, it's all about food and how we are moving from this kind of fast food casual to more farm to table. And I'm seeing that this culture is becoming more and more knowledgeable about their health and sustainable use of farming and what that's doing to the environment and more spaces, co-working spaces now include food in their offices that you never would see that you never walk into an office and be greeted by a barista asking you if you'd like a cup of coffee. I mean, that's just, it's just everything is now about how food and what you put in your body Can sustain you and help you. And I think that this whole food movement is a really, really, is going to be a big change for all of us and in a really, really healthy way. Yeah,
2: that's fascinating. Amy and I recently saw a company that actually like collaborated with a restaurant on site so that their employees had like healthy foods, local foods to eat. And I was like, I mean,
3: veganism, look at that. I mean, the whole vegan market is like that movement denotes a philosophy of a way of living, you know, that seeks kind of to exclude what's harmful and what's cruel to animals. And
0: well, and to your point, we want to touch the radish, get the dirt under our fingernails. We want that authentic experience. We want to know where things have come from, as well as. You know, this whole idea of radical transparency, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What, it, what effect will it have yep. on me? Yeah.
3: And we're also seeing a movement towards, you know, not only just this these quiet spaces, but towards spirituality and what that means for yourself.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, there's more like relaxation pods and meditation pods. I'm seeing a lot of that kind of pop exactly. up here and there. <clears throat> yeah, I could use that in the airport for sure. <laughs>
3: but i think you're going to see more i mean you you know you're seeing a few places where you can get massages and Mm -hmm. things but i do think that that whole process of meditation is going to become much more apparent and approved within the workspace that uh, somebody can take a 20-minute meditation break in the afternoon Mm -hmm. and it's not frowned upon because they know that what the positive effects of a 20 minute break of meditation can do to you. And it gives you five mm-hmm. more working hours. I'm telling you, right. it's just like, it just <laughs> <Yeah>. adds. <laughs> it's seriously, uh, one of these new movements that's going, uh, that's taking place right now. Have you
0: heard of headspace?
2: headspace?
3: Yes. Yes. yes yep
1: yes i've tried headspace yep. i've done the tm training i'm fully on the meditation <laughs> train i'm building my pod right now
3: <laughs> i just brought my meditation teachers in and they trained my staff so we break at three o'clock every day oh, for that's, awesome. oh that's awesome see, that is
1: wonderful and yeah. you need a space where that can happen
3: yeah i mean you just need i mean you they can do it at their desk if they want but we said let's mm-hmm. come up to the conference room and it's hilarious you know we turn the clock on and 20 minutes goes by and the alarm goes off and we all look at each other and start laughing. It's just great.
1: And you've just done your part to raise the consciousness of the entire planet. So exactly. we thank you for that.
2: Yes. And you're forming a community with the people you work with. It and really so changes important.
3: the balance and the behavior of everyone. It's really good.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not to mention, well, in terms of designing space, but also in terms of being their employer, what you're saying to them is, I value you and your well being, and I value it for myself too. So we're all as a community going to take care of ourselves.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. It would be great if you could share some ways that our listeners could see some more examples or learn more about new culture.
0: Well, Suzanne and I have both given our takes on the topic. Mine's more left brain, hers is more right brain, and they're both CEU accredited courses that one can subscribe to and and we've literally taken this on the road and we're going to have it all posted on our website www.tarketna.com and we'd love to share this with you
1: is there a new project or anything that you want our listeners to know about
0: you have to come to Chicago to (laughs) Neocon. You've got to see Suzanne's new product. It's amazing. Actually, we have a number of of really, really beautiful introductions that we'll be unveiling in June in Chicago. And actually, in October in New York City, I'd love to invite you. We've really rethought the whole idea of showroom and blown that whole idea up and really are exploring um, Mm -hmm. the idea of Space being co-working space as opposed to a showroom. So a oh. whole new model. Yeah, so you'll have to check it out. And we're just meeting with some other disruptors in the world and trying to maybe give some new experiences and inspiration to our customers.
1: If anybody wanted to follow this in a more social media kind of context, uh, where can we find you?
0: Both Facebook and Instagram at Tarquette Contract.
1: Okay, got it.
0: Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so
1: much. Have a good one. There's a lot to unpack here. Uh, (laughs) So much to unpack. Oh, my gosh. So first of all, they talked about all those attitudinal shifts, which I mean, we can all see and feel. Especially being online all the time. It's so clear, like, what's happening out there. Yeah, and, and that makes sense to me. But what I love that they've done is they've demystified what that means in terms of how the built world has to respond to those attitudinal shifts.
2: The fact that they're doing all this research, they're kind of creating a roadmap. But it's all based on, like, good research that they're doing. Mm-hmm. So that they can kind of outline, like, what needs to happen in order to respond to all of these attitudinal shifts.
1: Speaking of the mega trends that they talked about, they called it purpose positive, repurposing all of those abandoned, you know, structures, the big box retailer stores, and thinking of them as public libraries and centerpieces of new communities. And those new communities they're calling suburbanization, which are all these sort of what, micro suburbs that are cropping up outside of cities. I'm not sure that's how you describe it. What's your take on?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, in thinking about all these abandoned, abandoned shopping centers, malls, whatever it is, office buildings, they all can be repurposed. If you think about the fact that they said that we're going to be at max capacity by 2050 on our planet, which is only 32 years from now, which seems crazy to me. But being between 9 and 10 billion people on this earth, like we have to look at these old abandoned buildings and spaces and figure out what to do with them because there's no new land to build on by that point.
1: Not only that, but we don't have the resources to just demolish them and build anew. Right, and
2: he said that the construction and building world is already responding to that by doing a lot of off-site, like prefab stuff, modular building to try to help make it easier for people to retrofit or build not
1: on site, but just construct quicker and easier. Which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm really interested in this retrofitting of suburbia.
2: Yeah, well, one other thing I thought was really interesting, and I think this also goes to those mega trends is that, you know, they talked about... Uh, companies building communities and culture rather than just places for people to work. Mm -hmm. It went from like all these people working together to in offices to people working together in giant rooms to like people not working at the office. Mm -hmm. And now people are coming back to the office, but in a different way because they're looking for different things out of their employer. They're looking for spaces to hang out. They're looking for a company culture. We're not working nine to five anymore. We're working from home. Sometimes we're working on the road. We work late at night and we need spaces that will encourage and facilitate productivity, but comfort. Yeah. So it is thinking a lot about the employee rather than trying to retrofit the employee into this space that's been pre-designed.
1: Historically, spaces were designed, like he was talking about, like for the office drone, right? right? And the human had to all conform in order to fit the space. And then humans didn't like that. So they started disengaging from that model. And you didn't think of the workplace as the social center because it was all about one size fits all. And you wanted to distinguish yourself and be an individual. I mean, that's human nature. That's what we want. And until very recently, we haven't really trusted that people were designing with our interests in mind. There was this suspicion that you were designing to either get more work out of us <laughs> or, or to be so generic that we couldn't have a personality within there and we had to go elsewhere to have our social time. Mm-hmm. But if you can actually design a space that does create community and social interaction that people... Actively want to participate in as opposed to distancing themselves from, then we're really supporting people. Then we're really figuring out how to grow as a human race. And
2: <laughs> yeah, but also they talked about affordability of housing. Like right now, millennials, a large percentage of them live still live with their parents. So like how do you get these people out of their parents' houses, living on their own, being able to afford that with the jobs that they that are available? There was just an article recently, there was a company in San Francisco, probably a big one, but the name is escaping me right now, that's building a dorm. Mm -hmm. Was it Star City? I don't know, but I I did read about that. So when he said that, I was like, oh yeah, I recently saw something about that. And I thought, on the one hand, that seems like a crazy, scary, weird
1: idea, but also kind of smart. When you're young and you're moving to new cities and you don't have a community already, but you want to go where the work is that fuels you and gives you passion... Being able to live in a situation that will help you find that community right away is super desirable. I remember moving to new cities after college, and it's like, I'm a stranger here. I have to find a roommate on Craigslist, and I have to hope it works out, you
2: know? Remember what Tina said when we talked to Tina Roth-Eisenberg? She was like, I moved to New York, and I was like, I don't know anybody. And then she made her co-working space, and then all of a sudden had lots of new and interesting people to talk to.
1: Companies are doing it. So I, I think it's really smart. I mean, if you're if you're more satisfied in your job, well, there's lower turnover. I mean, there's all these reasons why it helps the company's bottom line. But there are also all of these implications that really affect society in positive ways. Especially if, like Suzanne was talking about, if we really are looking at the materiality of our spaces and the. Components that make up our spaces and they're considered deeply to support your well-being. And, you know, like they're not off-gassing <laughs> toxins into your system and they're not causing anxiety because the light bulbs are like, you know, harsh and blinking and the acoustics aren't clanging. And, oh, it just could be such a beautiful world. I, I
2: do want to talk about the word post-demographics which I thought was really interesting. And I tried to wrap my brain around it as he was talking um, about it. But then he started talking about personalization in the individual. Mm -hmm. And then I started thinking about a conversation that you and I recently had about fluidity of people and individuality and how like the newer generations that are coming up into the workforce are trying to knock down the silos that were created and structured before them for generations like our generation which is generation x Uh uh-huh and so it was like this is what you did you know you were either this occupation or you're female or male or you're you know you're married or not married and like that's not what's going to happen in the future it sounds like from what he's saying with all this research that they're doing that this fluidity of demographics is also going to be happening
1: Yeah, it's a fluidity of being that is being accepted now because nobody really wants to be put in a box or or labeled. But for so long, that's how we dealt with people so that we could have a metric that would allow us to respond to them.
2: But if they're doing the research that enables people to respond appropriately to individuality and fluidity, there is already a roadmap for it. So you don't have to worry about being like, how do I deal with all these different personalities? It is really cool.
1: I love when we get to have these conversations with people who have been diving deep into the research and and really thinking about what the future of the built world looks like.
2: Yeah, it's going to look pretty different, I think.
1: I think but it is it, too. But I'm excited in a good for way. it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Clever on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and go to cleverpodcast.com to sign up for our newsletter, read the show notes and learn more about Neoculture and Chris and Suzanne's work. Learn more about Tarket at Tarquettna.com. That's T-A-R-K-E-T-T-N-A.com.
1: Connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at clever Podcast. We'd love to know what you think about Neoculture. I mean, how is it showing up in your world? This episode of Clever was edited by Ty Navarez and Alex Perez with music by L1011.